welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Chapter 4, in verses 35 through 41, we're going to look at Mark chapter 4. So for those who don't know, as they were told us, we would love for you, man, if you have a Bible-believing church you belong to, I would love for you to stay in there and make a difference in that church. Because honestly, we have some incredible, wonderful churches in this area. You need to stay there. If you're looking for a church still, we would love to have you come. As they said, they're meeting here at 8.30. I actually teach a college and young adult class at 9 o'clock. And man, we'd love to have you come join us there. And then join us for the service at 10.30. It's great worship. Our pastor is a phenomenal teacher, and we would love to have you guys come and join us. Just a little bit about uh, myself. Uh, I'm on staff at the church, but they allow me to travel a lot, and so I travel and speak. I do a lot of camps. I speak at a lot of college campuses. I speak in churches and uh, travel literally around the world and share my faith. And so, man, I love opening up God's Word. I love challenging people with God's Word. And Stephanie and them gave me the passage that we're talking about tonight in Mark chapter 4, And the Word is the starting point, and it's the finishing point. A good Bible teacher will tell you as he preaches the Word that, listen, if there's anything he says that doesn't line up with the Word. The Apostle Paul said the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, this guy who wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. He said they were more noble because they looked at everything I did, and they measured it in light of God's Word. And so this is the starting point and the end point as we look at God's Word tonight. It's going to inform us. It's going to shape us. And it should, as I love talking about worldview, it should mold and shape the way that we think. You are either being shaped and molded by the Word or by the world. And there's really no fence to straddle. It's in or out. You're either going to think like the world does, which is the default. That's what all of us tend to do. Or you're going to think like the Word. So let's look at what the Word says in Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 35 through 41 as Jesus calms this storm. And as we look at the authority and the sovereignty of God. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says, That day when evening came, He said to His disciples, Let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind, They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also there boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So tonight, guys, I'm not going to speak a long time. We're going to look at the authority of Jesus, the authority of God's Word. 
And, and, and I want to land there and focus there for just, just a few minutes. Now, if you grew up in church, uh, you grew up going to, uh, to maybe a Bible class or a Sunday school, we've all heard this passage perhaps taught, and we focus on different things. And, and none of those are wrong in and of themselves, but, but, you know, Jesus does. And so often if we've heard, man, I love how we teach like, uh, like Bible stories, right? You know what I mean? We teach Bible stories to little kids. So this week I was teaching at the Kids Own Academy, which is like our age, like four to like seven years of age. And I was teaching like Noah's Ark. And we, we teach it really nice. And God got two of the animals on every the boat, right? We don't say about the thousands that died, right? And you know, if your pet wasn't on the boat, it died, right? You know what I mean? We don't, we don't, we don't do that. We don't, we don't teach the Bible story. So often we hear this Bible story and we think of it, and we think of it in the context of Jesus, if we're going through a storm in life that Jesus can calm that storm. And let me promise you, that that's a promise of God. So maybe you're here t- t- tonight and your life is in turmoil. I want you to know, if you know Jesus, indeed, he is able to calm the storm, even when it doesn't feel like he's there. I love the story that's told of a, a particular tribe that was an American Indian tribe. And they have this certain process that they went through. If you're a young adolescent male, and you were going to prove yourself a man, there was a certain ritual that each young man had to pass, a procedure. What they would do is they would take this young adolescent male, they would take him uh, out of his village, they would take him out in the middle of these dark, dense woods, they would set him on a tree stump, they would then blindfold him tightly, they would give him these instructions as the men of the village would walk him out. They would say, hey listen, you have to sit on this tree stump the entire night blindfold over your eyes. You have to spend this entire night Till the rays of the morning sun hit your face, you have to sit on this tree stump. You can't take this blindfold off. You can imagine a little kid, this this has to be just a young man, this has to be a terrifying thing. And so they would sit him on this tree stump, the men of the village would tighten this this blindfold over his eyes, and and then he would hear their steps as they walked away. And you got to imagine, man, it it was hours, but it must have just seemed like forever. It's every little noise, every little twig that broke, every little animal that scurried by. He, he, with everything in him, he would just probably want to tear that blindfold off so that he could see this pending danger. But man, he would st- stay there, he would struggle there, there alone, completely dark, and then finally, after what probably seemed like an eternity, the rays of the morning sun would begin to hit his face, and he would know that he passed the test. And so man, once he knew for sure, absolutely, he would, he would rip that blindfold off of his eyes. And he would see there five feet from him was his father who would stay there the whole night. Though he thought he was in danger, though he thought he could die at any moment, his father was there to protect him. And so maybe you're here, listen to me. Maybe you're here and you're going through a trial. Maybe you're going through a storm. I want to promise you, if you know Christ, he's able to calm that storm. And if not, he'll calm his child. But either way, we have that promise. But Stephanie asked them, they asked me to focus on something here. I want you to hear this. They're scared on the boat. This storm is coming down, and it's it's got them scared. They're worried. They even question Jesus. You just let us kind of die here. And then Jesus does something that absolutely blows their mind. He calms this storm, and then it says... This terrifies them because they suddenly recognize who is in their midst. 
And maybe you don't know. Maybe you're here and you're just, you have more questions and answers. That's awesome. Let me tell you who Jesus was, and he proves it by this passage. And this is what scared him. That Jesus Christ wasn't just a good prophet or a teacher. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's fully God and fully man. The Son of God and God the Son. The Bible says of Jesus in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Philippians 2, 6 says of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, looks at the storm, he calms it, and this terrifies them because they recognize, wait a minute, God is in our midst. He's here with us. And contrary to the philosophy of today that Jesus is my homeboy, right? In the presence of God, they were terrified. They were scared. Because fully God, fully man, in their presence, they recognize themselves. Because when you really see God for who He is, you see yourselves for who you are. And that was happening. They said, wait a minute, this is God. He is in our midst because only He could calm this storm. That's the person of Jesus. And for those in here who don't know Him, that's who the Bible says he was. For those of you who do know him, the Bible says you need to be confident and competent to share that. That you need to for those you encounter. Just as Stephanie said, it's a terrifying prospect to go out there and to share the gospel and how terrifying and scary that is. But let me tell you, you and I need to be equipped. We need to be bold to share our faith. And you're going to get persecuted. One of my favorite guys down in, in Second Baptist Houston, Dr. Ed Young Sr., he's a senior pastor there. Listen, you're going to get you're going to get persecuted for your faith. Let me tell you this. When you stand up for the name of Jesus, it's going to happen. He used to say, hey, listen, man. I love what he said. He said, man, if you're not facing any objection in your life, if you're not facing any obstacles or any opposition, he said, you're probably not doing anything for Christ. And then he says, if you're facing too much opposition, you're probably just obnoxious, right? And I think that's what kind of we vacillate. Some guys, oh, I'm getting persecuted for the gospel. No, you're not. You're a jerk. And that's the deal. And nobody likes you, not because you're standing up for the gospel, but you're obnoxious. And listen, we need to be able to confidently and competently share who the person of Jesus Christ is. That he was fully God, fully man. He has authority in the, over the storms and he has authority in our lives. We need to be able to articulate that. We need to be able to share our faith. I was um, at an outreach one time in, in uh, Louisiana. And uh, we were doing, on a Saturday morning, we were doing like a kind of a feeding program. So we would do an evangelistic reach at night. And then uh, we were feeding, giving off food off the back of a trailer. And uh, we're sitting on there, we're sitting with some of my, my friends, and we're, we're getting ready to pass out this food. And all of a sudden, two uh, Latter-day Saints, two Mormons, ride by on their bicycles. And I love to share my faith with Latter-day Saints, with Mormons, who, who, who utilize the name of Jesus. But it's a it's a different Jesus of the, of, the, of the Jesus of the Bible. And so my buddies, they know I like to, to witness to Mormons and LDS all the time. And, uh, and so they said, hey, man, Jeff, why don't you go? Uh, they, do you see that guy over there? And so I said, oh, that's awesome. So I grab my Bible, and I jump off the trailer, and I start running toward him. And they're, they're not used to people running toward him, right? And so, so, so I kind of kind of running toward him. They see this kind of big, overweight guy running at him, out of breath. I get up to him, and I say, hey, listen. I said, hey, man, I'd, I'd love to talk to you guys. And they say, all right, that'd be great, man. And so, so I began to just open up God's Word and affirm who Jesus is according to his word. If those who don't know that, that the Mormons, uh, LDS, wonderful people, but they have... So, so here's the thing. The name of Jesus is powerful only if we identify our terms. We have to, in this day, we have to qualify what we mean by the name of Jesus. 
And so I began to share with them that I admired their passion to share their faith and that I wish more Christians thought that way. And they thought, oh, they said, oh man, we are Christians. I said, well, not really. We as Christians believe in but one God. You're polytheistic. You believe in multiple gods. And they said, oh, no, we don't. And I said, that's crazy because you're the first Mormons I've ever met that hasn't. And Lorenzo Snow, one of their prophets, famous couplet he often, often recites and has most LDS guys know how to recite. It says, as man is now, God once was. As God is now, man may become. And it's this idea of eternal progression, that, that God was once a man and he grew into a God and that you and I can become gods. And so as I did this, you could kind of see their faces dejected because they knew that I knew exactly what I was talking about. And one of them said, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of true. And so then what I began to do is I just began to go over word after word after word what the Bible says about who Jesus is, the person of Jesus. There is but one God. Deuteronomy 6.4, the Jewish Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. And so as I do this, one of the guys, he was done with me. You know, he didn't want to have anything else to do with me. And then the other one, you could see that the truth of God's word was, it was moving on his heart. And so finally, after we went over the last passage and the last scripture passage, he looked at me and he asked this question, I'll never forget it. He said, Jeff, he said, I've given life, a couple years of my life to the mission field. He said, my mom and dad are, are Mormons, my Brother, sister, they're Mormons. He said, here's my question for you. He said, why would God let me be deceived? And I said, he wouldn't. And that's why he had you ride by here today. So I could share with you the truth of God's word. The person of Jesus. Fully God, fully man as clearly evidenced in this passage. Now here's where we come to the rubber meets the road. And so, Steph, you want me to dolly on? I've got, I've got just a few minutes, so follow me here. If he is indeed God, if he's indeed our creator, that has implications for our life. If he is the one who made us, created us, knows what's best for us, then surely he is able to have authority over our life. And listen, ultimately it's going to be him or you. I contend with you today that actually the, the sin uh, in the garden with Adam and Eve was that the serpent enticed them and said, you'll be like God knowing good from evil. Basically, you'll be able to decide what is right and what is wrong. And isn't that the world that we live in, right? That, hey, man, whatever your group thinks is right, whatever your culture thinks is right, that's right. Whatever they think is wrong is wrong. And it's just feelings and emotions and experiences. And that tells us what right or wrong is. But listen, if ultimately Jesus is the authority, if he's the one who's over all, then ultimately he would know what's best for us. And his diagnosis of us, the Bible, would be accurate. He knows what makes us broken, and he knows how to fix us. It reminds me of a guy named Steinmetz. He was with Henry Ford when he first began to develop the assembly line. Steinmetz helped him develop this intricate, complex assembly line where cars were put together. They had a, they had a, a, a broken part on this assembly line one day, and so Ford had his people call Steinmetz to come in and to repair this broken assembly line. He got in there, and, and Steinmetz walked into the building. He went over to a particular part of the machinery. 
He opened it up. He tinkered around with it for about 60 seconds. He closed it back, started it back up, and the machine worked perfectly. A couple of weeks later, Ford received the bill for his repair. And the single bill was $10,000. And so Ford was, was angry. And he told one of his people, he said, ask him that, that I want you to, I want this bill itemized. Uh, how in the world can he be here for one minute tinkering around with a machine and charge me $10,000? So, so they sent him a letter and said, we'd like an itemized bill. And Heinmeitz sent back a, an itemized bill. And, it, and the question in the, in the letter, it said, you know, how can you do it? A minute of tinkering around with a machine, you could be done. And Heinmetz broke down his diagnosis of what the problem was, and he broke down the cost of it. He said, $1 charge for tinkering, 9999 for knowing where to tinker. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Did we go to all sorts of different people, different things to try to get us fixed? Man, I love it. I love philosophy. I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you're a philosophy major, all right? But, but I, love, I love talking to philosophy majors. It's my favorite. You can be a philosophy major and have deep thoughts about being unemployed. But here's the deal, all right? And that's what... Oh, that was... I'm, I'm just telling the truth. But here's the deal. Okay. I love it. I love philosophy. I actually study philosophy, and I love it. But here's the thing. As much as it... And I do spend a lot of time studying philosophy, but here's the deal. That's awesome that the world can give me answers, but ultimately, if he is the one who has authority over my life, if he's the one who created me, he knows how to fix me. If I'm going through a storm in life, I can turn to man's answer or I can turn to God's answer. I can turn to the one who created me or I can turn to man's wisdom. And here is God's diagnosis of us. For those who don't know Christ, and perhaps, again, you've just come here because your friend invited you to eat a Chick-fil-A sandwich, all right? And if you don't know, the Bible says that's what we're going to eat in heaven, all right? So here's the deal. And it's open on Sunday. So here's the deal, all right? But it's, it's in first opinions. But here's the thing, all right? Um, and maybe this doesn't make any sense to you. And you say, man, what is this guy talking about and Jesus being God? And it fully doesn't make well, Let me just tell you real quick to close. i got like three minutes. Is that... Here's what the one who created us says about us. He says that you and I are born with sinful natures. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, you and I are born sinners. Right? We're born broken. We're born knowing how to do that which is wrong. We're born out of alignment. We're born going the wrong way. Every single one of us. And maybe you're here and you say, oh, I don't really, we're born sinners. Well, let me just tell you something. A few years from now, you're going to have children and you're going to find out that we're born sinners. Praise God. That's, you don't have to teach a little kid how to do that which is wrong. The Bible says that every one of us, the diagnosis of he who has authority over our lives, says that you and I are broken, fractured, sinful creatures. And because of that, you and I break God's laws. All right? Ten Commandments. Raise your hand if you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Raise your hand. Right, that's cool. Put your hands back down. Raise your hand if you've ever broken one of the Ten Commandments. Right, that's cool. Put your hands back down. All right, some of you didn't raise your hand to the second question. What you just did is called lying. All right? And that's actually one of the big ten. All right, here's the deal. But every single one of us has broken God's laws. And I love. I love when I speak to, I speak to students and 
intellectual, and I love, I love intelligent discourse, and I love when they say, oh, wait a minute, and, and you can hear them just minimizing their sin. They say, oh, wait a minute. So one little sin sends me to hell forever. It's because we fail to recognize he who we've sinned against. We haven't sinned against each other. We've sinned against a holy and righteous judge. My youngest son is Graham. He's a good kid. He'd never do so. But just imagine that he'd never do this. Just imagine he got in a, an argument with his classmate, and so he, he punched his classmate. He wouldn't do that. But um, let's say he did. And then the teacher comes and tries to break it up, and boom, he punches the teacher, right? <laughs> got his mother's temper. But then, then all of a sudden, no, I'm just teasing. But then all of a sudden, the principal comes down. He's, he's, he's throwing bones. Boom, pops him, right? So we're going to call the police. This Neil kid's out of control before he gets put in the police car, before they can put the handcuffs on him. Boom, he pops him. They bring him in front of the judge, take the cuffs off. He runs across the bench, and he punches the judge. Listen to me. Punches his classmate, his teacher, the principal, the police officer, and the judge. But I'm going to promise you something. All of those are the same wrong sin, but the punishment for punching the judge is far greater than that of punching his classmate. So when we sin... We don't sin against each other. We sin actually against the eternal judge. And because we've sinned against an infinite eternal God, we deserve an infinite eternal punishment separated from him. And if you hadn't figured it out, man, maybe it's your first time ever coming to BSM, man, that's some terrible news. Man, you sinned against God? I deserve to go to hell for it? How does that, how does that in any way work? But here's the good news. The good news is, here's what our Bible teaches, that Jesus came as the Son of God and God the Son. Because he was fully God, fully man, he was born without sin. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially. They lowered him in a borrowed tomb, and three days later he rose from the grave, proving he was who he said he was. Check this out. The way that we make it to heaven, if you've heard it wrong, is that you have to be a good person. And I want you to know, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. But if we will yield our lives to Him as His Spirit draws us, the Bible says that we're what's called born again, and then it's no longer our good acts that get us to heaven. Instead, it's His righteousness. I did that at 13 years of age. I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm not going to heaven because I go to church or because I'm a preacher. I'm, going to, I'm not even going to heaven because I'm righteous. I'm not. I'm going to heaven because he's righteous. And it was given to me because he took out a heart of stone and he placed in a heart of flesh when I yielded my life to him. And man, when, we get, when I get through praying here in just one minute, listen. If you have questions, man, again, questions are awesome. And you've got some people at that table that would love to talk to you about what it means for Jesus to have authority in your life, to take out that heart of stone, to take in and place in a heart of flesh. That's what qualifies us for heaven. And then not practically do we become righteous, but positionally we become righteous when we know him as Lord and Savior. I'll pray. I read a story a while back. It was actually in the Houston Chronicle. And on the front cover of this, this newspaper, was a picture, and it showed this young man lying in a hospital gown on, on a hospital bed, and it showed an, another man, a little older, probably in his late 40s, with his head against this man's chest in this hospital gown, 
So obviously they want to know what that was about, began to read the story beneath. And what the story was is there was a guy who had been killed in an auto accident, in a, in a motorcycle accident, pardon me. They had been able to harvest some of his organs, and in fact, they had placed his heart and transplanted it into that guy that was laying in the hospital bed. And the man who had his ear against that young man's chest was the father of the man whose son had died. And what he was doing was he was listening to, listening for his son's heartbeat. What qualifies us for heaven, he who has authority on our lives, it's not being good, going to church, believing in God, all great things. But it's when God the Father puts his ear on our chest and he hears the heart of his son. That and that alone. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you, God, for your perfect word. Thank you, God, that, that indeed you have authority over our life. The person of Jesus Christ does because of his, um, his perfect life, his sacrificial death. God, we can boldly approach you. We know you, not because of anything we deserve. And I, I pray, God, that you guide and lead these discussions over this next few moments as we look at what it is to be in submission to you that you are in authority in our life and that you deserve that position. And God, for that, we're going to be careful as you guide us and lead us these next few minutes to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff.